too bad, suckers. You only get one topic this episode. <laughs> Eat it. Welcome to Tell Me Why I'm Wrong, <laughs> the internet's favorite podcast about why Sophie and I are wrong. And we're and, so wrong, um, especially wrong quite, this time. Quite wrong. We're wrong about how to make podcasts. So we're ro- we we are confused about our own format, which probably means we should like think about it. About our format. Yeah. No, I think that's true. Yeah. We should at least talk about it. Mm-hmm. But not right uh, now. Not right now. Hey, hey, everyone. Uh, my dog was jumping all over me at like three in the morning this morning, so I'm I'm a little out of it today. But that's okay, because because um, uh, it is because it's fine. Yeah, it's no yeah. big deal. Um, yeah. So this is a podcast where we um, we say some stuff and then we talk about it. And- <laughs> I really am out of it today. Yeah, uh, it's okay ah. though. It's okay. We're gonna do it. I have some uh, follow-ups from last time, just really, really quick. Not like oh. a long eight-minute one like last time. Okay. Two things. The first one is just a plain correction. When we were talking about Merchant Ivory movies, I said that they were all Henry James novels, but that was wrong. It's Ian Forster. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Good. Who are and they're like those guys are very different guys. Clearly. Right. Yep. I mean, one of them is American and the other one is European. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say, listening to our last one, it was just it was a little ironic, right? Because like we were talking about the Civil War and Andrew Jackson and then like the next day. So was our president. But no, no one cares. That's like in the past now because we've moved on to other scandals. Yeah. Right. Uh, not, not Andrew Jackson. Um, yeah. Yeah. Andrew Jackson. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. He no, said sorry. that Andrew said Jackson Jack- could have. You said Andrew Jackson. I was thinking Andrew Johnson. Oh, well, I heard that Henry James could have prevented the Civil War. <laughs> I think he could have. Easily. He had lots of feelings about it. Henry James? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Like, he didn't like it? Or he did like it? Uh, well, I don't know what he... You know, the fact, I actually know a little bit more about his other his brothers, William and Wilkie. But um, anyway, I think they, they were ambivalent. And then... Yeah. 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 It's hard cool. to be... I don't know. Never mind. Well, so before we get into this episode, let's talk a little bit about our next episode, because mm-hmm. uh, y- y'all got homework for it. Me too. Oh, that's what I forgot to put in. Um, uh, yeah, you got you you got homework. Um, I have assigned to Sophie to watch um, Pan's Labyrinth and Pacific Rim, two excellent Guillermo del Toro movies. Maybe one excellent Guillermo del Toro movie, one maybe awesome, maybe maybe terrible <laughs> movie and she has assigned to me a whole bunch of episodes of community uh which i said i was going to put the list of which episodes in the show notes to last episode and i just realized that i forgot but so, we'll do it in this one so that's okay yeah. mm-hmm. yep so you can watch all those episodes or just watch a bunch of other episodes as, as best i can tell you know one's basically the same as another oh my god <laughs> <laughs> But that's uh, what you like about television, as we established last time. Exactly. Yeah, so it's, you're gonna love it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let's get started with this episode. Yeah, we um, don't really know what it's called anymore. Do we? We still know. S two E four. It's tentatively entitled "Europe is not America," which actually is ancient Greece. Which we we love this title, and it seemed like such a good idea at the time. But then we kind of screwed up, and now we're confused. Yeah, we, we I realized, think it's okay to say that. I think we can say that cuz we keep saying it. But you know, basically we we had we thought we were doing a topic on uh uh called Europe is not America, 
but uh, it turns out each of us thought that the other one was going to do the write up for it, and and neither of us actually has any any idea what to what to write about that topic for an intro. So we probably agree. So right, we we agree that Europe. So is then there's America. nothing to say, but that's not really true because we talk all the time about things we agree about. So we just have to we just have to figure it out. Yeah. So uh, you know, when you listen to this, there could there will could well be another segment along with the one that we're about to do. It's uh, a but, madcap. But that's going to be through improvisational the, through the magic of editing. <laughs> Magical ride. Yeah. Of creativity. Hey, I think that's enough chit chat. Let's let's get to it. Let's here. get down to it. Uh, so I'm, I'll get started here. I, I read a book a few months ago. Uh, it's one I'd been meaning to read for some time. It's called Twilight of the Elites by Chris Hayes. Uh, you may know him from his show on MSNBC, which is called All In. He used to, uh, it's on weeknights. He used to have a weekend show called Up. Um, anyway, I, I really recommend it for giving a view of some of the aspects of American society that I hadn't really seen. Um, and for explaining some, uh, giving some sort of sociological context to, to changes in America o- over the last few years. Um, so the basic argument of the book is that starting in the 60s, uh, our society became more meritocratic, uh, meaning that elite institutions like Ivy League universities, Wall Street, um, political parties opened themselves up and allowed membership based on, quote unquote, merit rather than uh, you know, whether or not you are a wasp from the right family. Um, you know, I think, I don't know if people know this, but like prior to the 60s, most Ivy League universities had uh, caps on like quotas for the, the number of Jews that were allowed in, and it was very low. Um, anyway, uh, uh, yeah, right. So so these institutions became more meritocratic where, where they used these like ostensibly objective measures of merit uh, uh, to choose membership. Uh, Hayes argues that these elites, though, went on to rig the game, uh, meaning that they, um, they made it so that, uh, well, that they protect themselves from the consequences of their actions. Uh, you know, he uses the examples of, uh, like the, the financial crisis, uh, in the Iraq war, uh, and that, uh, the current tests of merit, that are supposed to, you know, decide who gets to join this meritocratic elite, um, have actually been selected in such a way as to favor the children of current elites, meaning that meritocracy, um, is sort of sliding back towards, uh, aristocracy. So that's sort of the the broad argument of the book, but one chapter in particular caught my interest. It's, it's called 1% pathologies. It starts on page 154. If you're, uh, if you're interested in checking it out. And he Turn to page one fifty four of your hymnal. <laughs> he describes something that he calls fractal inequality. So you know, you you all know fractals. There, there are these geometric designs, and when you zoom in, you see that at smaller scale, it just uh, recapitulates the same design as as at the larger scale, and this goes on infinitely. So he, he argues that the the difference um, between the wealth of the top one percent and the bottom ninety nine percent is basically the same as the difference between the top 0.1% and the top, you know, 0.99% uh, and so on. And, and so as you, as you sort of move up the wealth ladder, the, you see that the, there's always that same enormous wealth gap between the top 
the top group in like the top 1% and the bottom 99% of whatever sort of section of the population you're looking at. Um, so he points out that that, that fractal pattern uh, implies two things for uh, the meritocratic elite. Um, there's this never ending competition for rank. Like people are always trying to, to push and fight to be in that next, in that next level. Um, and there's this undying belief that they've earned whatever they have um, because they are competing for, for this stuff. So this leaves the meritocrat with a toxic combination of entitlement and insecurity. So when I read this, I immediately thought to myself, I know these people. And not because I'm hanging out with a lot of uh, meritocratic elites, uh, but because this is a perfect description of the psychology of the quote-unquote heroes in the Iliad. They're constantly going on about how great they are and how they've bested so-and-so, and and that's Mm. why they're so awesome. But they're also acutely aware of anything that seems like an insult. Mm. Uh, For example, the feud that launches the whole story is about Agamemnon feeling slighted and then insulting Achilles in order to get revenge, and then Achilles feeling uh, slighted by Agamemnon and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, and and the the, the sort of fractal quality uh, holds as well. There's all these great heroes and they're 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 amazing warriors and and the uh, sort of unnamed soldiers are no match for any one of the heroes who ha- who has a name uh and then there's sort of like a top rank of the heroes like Odysseus and Hector and Agamemnon and Diomedes and and the um the Ajaxes and stuff and the lesser heroes don't really stand a chance against any of them uh, but none of those heroes stands a chance against Achilles i mean if you check out books 20 and 21 he just goes on a murder spree uh, and just just kills everyone, but well, Achilles he's is upset. powerless. He he's very upset, <laughs> but also he's just like <laughs> like a as a warrior, he's just like next level compared yeah. to these other guys. Um, but Achilles himself is powerless against the river god. He tries to fight the river, I think Scamander, uh, and and he's, he can't do anything against it. Uh, and all the Olympians together are powerless against Zeus. There's a story in the Iliad where Zeus like ties them all up and hangs them from the hangs them off the mountain or something all tied up in a ball. Um, so Sophie, do, do we now live in a Homeric society where warlords battle each other for prizes and honor and strength is the only law? Uh, is American society transforming into some kind of aristocracy? And uh, what can we learn from my loose associations here? Okay. Well, this is fascinating. I, I, I want to tell you that like I've, I found the second half of your provocation so much more interesting than the first because okay. I, I just don't I, – I have to say like I, I didn't like or particularly buy most of what I read. And I mean admittedly I only read those eight pages that you sent me. But I felt like that was a really, really oversimplified description of, uh, of social stratification in the United States and, and also probably like a weird, like, which was weirdly sympathetic to the social, the deeply stratified, um, society of, um, it, it, of like European countries that's, that's continue to have an aristocracy. Like it was like weirdly sympathetic to like, that's, that was like somehow better. Oh, um, and I can I talk about that. that. Yeah. yeah but be- like, um, about that. But then when you started talking about ancient Greece, I got really excited uh, because excited I like, I like to talk about that. So, so like just a couple, a couple of things I want to throw into the mix. First of all, 
I like I want to entertain this idea that uh, what's happening in the United States is something akin to what's happening, what happens in the Iliad. But I, I but I, because I, I'm sort of entranced by this idea, I'd like to think about it. But I want to like poke a few I, holes in it, just like just sure. before I like go overboard with being. Tell me charmed. why I'm wrong. Well, I mean, first of all, like I wonder whether it's appropriate to compare like fictional people and real people. I mean, whether or not Achilles and Agamemnon actually existed the version of we of them that we have in the iliad is like it's clearly happening in a kind of like it's a it's an elaborate and formal literary uh literarily constructed world right that they live in you know i mean they they exist in in like a formal verse scheme Mm -hmm. so so i don't know like i want to kind of put that in into thing um the other thing that's interesting is like um you know they they i i like what you were saying about their increasingly like com- competitive abilities but like they also are kings and princes i mean they they, they have yeah, they they, right. they are aristocrats and and also like potentially the children the offspring of gods so right. like no, I, I don't, I don't know they have point. like a sh- special shine on them for that reason and like maybe what we could talk about is the way that maybe we could talk about and maybe you know this because i sure don't but like how the iliad functions in greek society such that maybe it reinforces certain kinds of ideas about meritocracy i don't know you you can tell me yeah um that might be really interesting i I mean i think that's an interesting question about like like aristocracy versus meritocracy in in because it's both right with these guys right so so let's let's get let's get to the greek language here like merit isn't a greek word and and so meritocracy where does it come from where does the word merit come from yeah is it it might be latin okay um but uh what uh, what what word do they use well, so here's the thing. I mean, they use the word aristocracy. Uh, okay, sure. Right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. aristocracy is a, is a Greek word, and it means... Can you break ru- it down for us? Right. So uh, aristos is, means the best. Right. And crassy comes from kratos, power or authority. Well, and this so is kind of what I want... Yeah. I mean, I wanted to say yeah. something about that, right? Like, like, when people talk about meritocracy versus aristocracy, I mean, I think that, especially in a European context, at least the context that I know well, like aristocrats actually think they are better and in fact common yes. people think they are better think that the aristocrats are better too in many in a deeply aristoc- co- yeah right totally so, so certain right. moments right in other moments that breaks down but but still like right that's so, how it works <laughs> so in greek in in a in an aristocratic society you know they wouldn't necessarily draw a distinction between aristocracy and meritocracy uh like within that within that uh ideological framework now we we as good uh uh, democrats small d democrats you know don't believe that well i guess let me back up so so uh i think to definitely to a greek of the classical times and i'm assuming of of the homeric times um uh you know uh whether or not someone is the best is going to be strongly strongly related to uh heritage yeah Um, especially if your dad is or mom is a god or demigod right 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 so so (laughs) yes aristocracy means rule by the best but there's uh there's definitely like this uh inherited component of that whereas uh you know which i think is is sort of how aristocracy then in later usage it's not you know it's not so much understood as being the best or it's it's about having like it's understood as being about ruled by uh by some sort of uh, 
elite inherited with an inherited status um right so so you know uh, the the meanings of words change in, insofar as they have meanings and um stay tuned for episode six and and so uh right so like aristocracy like you can say like okay etymologically it means ruled by the best you know in actual use it means ruled by people with titles well, exactly inherited titles mm-hmm. um so where am I going with all this? Oh yeah, right. But in in definitely in Homer and and in later Greek too, later Greece, there's not a strong distinction made between rule by the best and rule by people uh, uh, with inherited privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 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 Homer, it's even more it's even more extreme, you know, because there's like if you read the Iliad, there's all these places where. Uh, you know, for instance, I mentioned Achilles fighting the river god Scamander, and he tries to fight the river, and the river just keeps knocking him back. It's a really cool scene. You know, it sort of portrays that that you know, for all Achilles' rage, you know, he's still he's still powerless in uh, in some situations, I guess, against nature because he's he's fighting a river. But um, but he ends up being saved because one of the Olympians sort of steps in. I think I'm trying to remember who it is. Oh, you know what? I'm I'm confused here. No, he's 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 fighting. He tries to fight Apollo, and Apollo keeps sort of knocking him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, and eventually, I think I think Athena sort of steps in. And is like, okay, you need to move along. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there's you know there's like Aeneas who gets saved by uh, Aphrodite uh, once or twice, where someone's going to kill him and he gets saved, mm-hmm. or or Odysseus who's going to. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why he's he kicks everyone's butt so much is because Athena is always helping him out. And right. you know, some I think contemporary readers, when they read that sort of thing, they're like, "Well, geez, like, what's so cool about these guys? The only reason they win is because the gods are always stepping in to help help them out." Like that is what's cool about them, though. Exactly right. Like to, in a Homeric perspective, like the gods, they're not great because the gods help them out. The gods the help gods them help out because they're, they're great. great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then and, they can t- and, it's like mutually reinforcing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so where was I going with that? Oh yeah. I think it's the same thing with, with being born of a God or, you know, or having, having like divine um, ancestors in some way. It's like, it's like, yes, that, that uh, it's not inherited privilege in the sense of just like inherited wealth or social status. Like you actually inherit being awesome. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which in the way that it sounds like at least Homer or whoever is the voice behind the Iliad is thinking about is what aristocracy is. Right. Some kind of innate and potentially inherited or inheritable awesomeness but doesn't it kind of dwindle as it goes like like there are these there are these like houses that have an a god as an ancestor but then like as they go along like it gets sort of it gets sort of like diluted and then and then they just like get into big trouble so it's it's a little bit confusing how this works Mm -hmm. um yes that seems to be the case and and like there's there's in works and days by uh hesiod yeah there's this whole thing the, about the the, the ages yeah. of man yeah and they like were the, golden the, and then they were, were silver and then there were bronze men and then they there got were worse the and worse heroes which crappier was, uh, and crappier. Was like the homeric heroes and then the lead are we in the age of lead now i think he says mm. i forget i haven't read that for a long time it's the it's the holofoil era exactly exactly <laughs> i um, i listen i pay attention um so so 
um, but then you could look at something like I'm trying to think of who one of Zeus's children was that shows up in the Iliad. I don't know. I can't I remember. Know. I used but to like, know this very well, but, but I like I Achilles, you know, Achilles, he's obviously the strongest mortal. But his uh, mom is only a, ge- a demigod, right? Exactly. Well, I don't know if I would say demigod, but definitely like a, a very minor. She's like a sort sea of, foam goddess. She's a, yeah, Thetis, she's a sea right? nymph. Yep, yeah. Thetis. She's a sea nymph. She's she's not a big deal. You know, Aeneas is Aphrodite's son, um, and Achilles just whoops him. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of that except to say. What about Hector? Does he have divine parentage? I mean, his, neither of his parents is a god. You right. know, he's Priam and Hecuba's Hecuba. son. Uh, I think I think there's a um, I think there's some sort of Olympian at the mm. as like the founder of hmm. Priam's line, but I don't I actually don't remember. Um, let me see. Do I have a? I brought some books here. Oh, I'm wondering if there's a fam- any family trees in it. I kind of feel like there is. But maybe all right. Well, why, but while you look for that, so so I could like just like play play around all day with like the world of the Iliad. But yeah. I guess I want to ask like so so these guys like when you really get down to it, they're just obnoxious, right? They're like really they're Super like they're obnoxious. like big babies and whatever. But but also like I find them really appealing, and I feel this like affectionate. I mean, I like some of them more than the others, you know. And I and I feel like they're who do you like? Who do I like? Yeah, um, I, I like um, Patrocles. Patroclus? I don't even know Patroclus, how to say him. Yeah. yeah, sure. Okay, I like him. Uh, he seems reason a little bit more reasonable. Plus, he's tragic, uh, so it's sort of like you know, likable. Um, I like Hector. I everyone don't know. I think I like. Yeah, everyone likes Hector. He's also tragic. I I like. I, I mean, I like like I, I like some of the women, right? I like, yeah, I like Andra- Andromache. Andromache. Yeah, she's cool. And but um, I like Odysseus. I really like the story about how he tries to get out of going to the war. Interesting. That it's doesn't show up story. anywhere. In no, Homer. it doesn't. But it's but it's a great little story. Do, do you mind? Do you mind telling people might not know that? Yeah, um, it's a great story. So he didn't want to fight, and this is appealing to me, of course. And and maybe like my I'm reading some like ill ill thought out pacifism onto this. I'm sure, but he doesn't want to do it. He has a newborn son at home. He's very devoted to his wife. And, um, so he pretends to be completely mad and he goes to the beach in Ithaca and he like is sowing the beach. He's like plowing the beach and sowing the beach and yelling and screaming against the wind and like, just kind of like being a kook. And they are, you know, his wife is like, I don't know, dude, like, I don't think you want to take him to war. He's completely bonkers. And I don't remember who it is, but like, they're sort of trying to reason with him and he, he won't kind of break character. And then they throw his new, like infant son, like sort of right in front of him and his plow. And he stops and like catches mm-hmm. the baby. And, it, and they, that, then they're like, ha ha, we got you. And they drag him off to war. But, and then I don't know if this is I, I, in the Achilleid, which is a much later thing. Much I don't later even know Homer. what that is. It's, it's like this late, maybe even written in, it's like late Greek. Like, mm. uh, I think maybe even after the Roman conquest, I think I'm not sure, mm. but it's, I think that might be where that story comes from. Mm. Um, but then, then after that, Odysseus has to go get Achilles to fight. And Achilles, Achilles doesn't want to fight either in, <laughs> in this version. And mm-hmm. he's actually um, hiding out in like a, a, 
like a temple or something like in dressed a cave as a cave or something dressed I feel as like a, I know dressed this. as a woman yeah and Odysseus <laughs> shows up and he's like I know Achilles is around here somewhere one of these women is Achilles <laughs> and so he brings like all these like gifts for them and there's like a bunch of nice clothes and perfume and then there's like a pile of awesome weapons and Achilles goes straight for the weapons and he's like busted if I if I get a fight you get a fight Aww. So there's but, something but really that, appealing about that. But, but I should point out, like, that is not the Achilles and Odysseus of, no. of the Iliad. And, you know, one of the most famous things about Achilles in in the Iliad is is this line where he talks about how he was given a choice when yeah. he was young. Yeah. Either to live a long, happy life in obscurity or to die young but to have glory uh, everlasting forever. glory. Yeah. And he and chose like, everlasting glory. Like, no glory. contest. Yeah. I know. And, and, you know, I think one of the things, I, I think that's really important also because I, I think sometimes readers of the Iliad have a hard time sort of getting in with Achilles because they're yeah. like, they're like, what a whiner. Like, yes. Okay. Agamemnon stole this girl from you. Like suck it up and go fight for your friends yeah. and protect them. And I, I think that line, I think, I think is really crucial for understanding it. Like he mm-hmm. made a deal where he was giving up his life in order for, in order to win glory. And, and, and that glory was sort of taken away from him. Um, mm, that's so, interesting. So, but my point, going back to my earlier point, which is that yeah. like these guys as, uh, as obnoxious oh, yeah. as they are, really are, are really appealing and sort of like you feel like appealing in a way that the Davos or, elite is not appealing. That's to you. what I was going to say. Like, I just don't, I, I don't, I mean, may, and again, like maybe it's a literary construct. And if there right. was like a great epic poem about like Mark Zuckerberg or something, I would be like, oh yeah, like, what a big baby, but also we love him. But like, is that the, is that the social network? The, the David Fisher <laughs> I have, movie? I've not actually seen it. Um, oh, it's pretty good. Is it good? Well, isn't it that is an Aaron, good. Didn't Aaron Sorkin write the screenplay? Yep. Aaron Sorkin yeah. wrote the screenplay. You told me you never watched any Aaron Sorkin. I mean, I watched the social network. Okay. But he, I mean, he didn't direct it. Um, well, he doesn't no, but, direct any of the TV shows either. He just writes them. I guess so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Right. Uh, so so my question is, like, is this really fair? Because, like, like okay, so if we took these guys out of their uh, poetic context, would they be just as, like, uh, easily criticized? Would, would, the, would our critique of them be the same critique of the this meritocratic elite that you're positing? Could be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Because I don't know how to square my like, in, like we are both I enthusiastic see, you're, you're about the Ill, and your, about and the your distaste for well, and for, it's not like, and yours too, right? I mean, sure. you're kind of saying like because because Chris Christopher Hayes is saying like these people are awful, right? I mean, basically, and and he talks about like part of the problem is that the system makes them awful, right? Right, right. That there's like and a structural reason for why rich for people their are awfulness, right? Yep. Which like I don't think, first of all, like. That doesn't seem like a new thing. <laughs> no, no, no. But I think I think this like I think this specific blend of of uh, entitlement and uh, anxious striving. I think he says is. I mean, he's saying that that that's a particular kind of awfulness. And maybe maybe uh, uh, aristocrats of the hereditary sort who don't have that same sort of, in, you know, he says that they don't have that same sort of insecurity because, because they know that whatever happens, they're born of this particular family. And that yeah. gives them a certain, a certain sort of, I, I have some thoughts about that, but let's but, save it. Cause yeah. I, I'll write them down and we'll okay. talk about it. But so, I, so I think, I don't think his point is that these meritocratic elites are worse than the other kind. It's just that there's a particular kind of awfulness that, that comes about because of, uh, um, because of this combination of, of anxiety and, and 
um, uh, uh, entitledness. And, and I, you know, I think you would say that, that there's, there's particular problems with a meritocratic, you know, quote unquote meritocratic elite that actually starts to take on some of the trappings of aristocracy because mm-hmm. it still has like the it still thinks of itself as meritocratic mm-hmm. uh, and that that causes particular problems because it sort of limits its ability to, for, to um, reflect on itself. But all aristocracy is, I mean, th- it sort of seems like the only thing that's missing here in some ways is a, is a title. And we, we don't do that because you get your title from the monarch and we don't have one of those, but I mean, aren't there American families and haven't there been American families for many, many, many generations who behave this way? Um, I mean, it sounds like he's sort of saying like everything was fine until 1960. No, 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 no. I mean, he's definitely not saying that. Um, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, if you read the whole book, you know, I, I only gave you a couple of pages. Yeah, to read. Right, you know, right. I think I know. He, he would he would argue that there were like deep, deep problems with, you know, and, and that there was this sort of aristocratic character to American society before that. You know, where he Abs- talks about absolutely. sort of like the wasp elites sort of running everything uh, and that there were really good things about the opening up of society that happened in the 60s where some of this started to break down. Uh, I think he's just saying that there are sort of like there are also problems with with that and and that the the sort of meritocracy that we have set up and in the, the way that they use their power as as elites to change the rules of the game um you know he talks about how they, they end up like shielding themselves from the consequences of their actions um and that you end up with sort of like worse and worse elites because of that so is his argument that like it would all be okay if we just had like really good elites. And is he talking moral good or is he talking like high quality, like like so both. smart and powerful or something? Both. So both. so that's where you see the Homeric them... thing. Well, he's I mean he's arguing that 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 you know by shielding themselves from the consequences of their actions, they make them more like venal and corrupt, but also more incompetent. So, right. but what's yeah, but what's so interesting is like when you do the Homeric connection. Okay, let's see if I can get this right. Um, okay. On Earth, like in society, people like this, Agamemnon and Menelaus and those guys, at a certain level, are they live in a world where they are shielded from the consequences of their actions, much more than like a, a peasant would be or something, right? But the, the poem insists that they are not shielded from everything because the gods can step in and they're powerless against them, right? Like it's all great for Menelaus to have like the hottest wife, but then when Aphrodite tells Paris like I can get you the hottest wife off she goes right so like um I'm just trying to make the connection here so like is the is the Iliad better because it shows that even the greats um sort of like will be brought low by something yeah right so uh is it better than real life for that I don't know I mean maybe I'm just trying to like I, I I'm still trying to square like our affection for for um Homeric heroes with like this sort of unease about yeah so because I mean, like, you're trying to say what, it's the same thing but like but you like the well, let me yeah I mean let me talk about that directly. yeah let's do it because I think I think I think there's some important stuff there so I think part of it I think is you're you're right is just like it's a story about them that uses like literary techniques to make them appealing because it's a, it's a story that while it, I think it challenges that worldview in in some ways i think ultimately i think the iliad is sort of broadly sympathetic to the worldview of its characters yeah 
Well, and to their like personhood in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's about them. And I, and I think it really does think that these people are more important than the sort of nameless masses. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Seriously. Like, I, you know, the naming of ships, it's like beautiful. But then also you're like, who are all these jokers? Like, who are these like poor schmoes who are like right, just right. along for the ride? Right. So, and they'll never distinguish themselves. Right. There's, they're just, there's no, they're, they're not even in the game. Yeah. Um, and that's as it should be. I mean, the, the poem is fine with that. Right. I think, you know, I think the poem was also interested in, in sort of challenging this worldview to some extent, you know, by, by, um, you know, because Achilles, you know, in a way he's standing up for his, for his merit, for like, like he's saying like, I'm, you know, I'm deserving of great honor because I'm the best. And mm-hmm. the poem is like, yep, he is definitely the best. Mm-hmm. But the whole poem is about how that brings ruin on everyone. Yeah. Um, so. Because he has a fatal flaw. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, that's what you. And people say that kind of thing. People do say that kind of thing. It's, it's useful. It's like a useful yeah. way of thinking yeah. about these things. Yeah. Um, so where was I going with that? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, right. Yeah. Just, I mean, I mean, I think the, the, I think the, the poem is a little bit ambivalent and you know, on the one hand it's, it, I think that the poem is, is sort of talks about the glory of war and how awesome war is and people killing each other. But right. I think it's also very right. realistic about, about how horrible that is. Yeah. You know, and there's, it's there's pretty tough l- to read when you're like, you're like, yeah. Oh, and then the, like the darkness veiled their eyes and you're like, again, it, this is just there's this like, brutal there's unrelenting one part where you know someone's spear like it goes through his head and like knocks his eye out so his eye was hanging out of his head right or i mean there's some really really gruesome descriptions of what happens to people's bodies uh, yeah. in war and and there's really beautiful descriptions of domestic life yeah and a yeah. real understanding of how that's, that's really disrupted by war yeah, um, and I think I think in a way Hector is the is a character who sort of brings those two things together. He like does. he's a great warrior, but he's also someone who really prefers domestic life. Or yeah, well, he's like a good life. he's a good son, he's a good father, and he is at yeah, some level like a good governor. Like he mm-hmm. he governs with some kind of fairness or justice or something. So he's sort of the, the whole package, right? But he's doomed. Uh, totally. Um, so what else was? Oh, right. So so. So I guess I think you I think you could write or create a work uh, a tragedy about you know the meritocratic elite of of like global finance, <laughs> um, you know and uh, I think you could. You have do to get something. to know them first. I mean, I actually know I'm, I've met this sociologist. She's a professor who studies like the super rich, and so as a so like you know as a participant, maybe she's an anthropologist. I can't remember, but as a participant observer, she like has to hang out with them. So she like gets in with all these like models and 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 like the hyper wealthy, and sort of jets around with them in and in order to study them. And That's it's funny. It's so interesting, but for the most part. I mean, despite celebrity culture and the paparazzi and our, uh, you know, the King Kardashian is like tweeting or something all the time. There's like the real global elite are like very shadowy and sort of separate from us. And I was going to say that I was going to ask whether the Homeric heroes probably were the same, except for that the poem by being about them sort of illuminates them. Like if you're just like a a peasant or a surf or something in, in Greece, you don't know like the 
what's going on with them. Except yeah, you do uh, because you like know the story, know the tale. I don't know. I, I'm like really having a hard time yeah. collapsing these things together. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Uh, and like, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I, I asked at the end there, like, is it is America? Do we live in a Homeric society where warlords battle each other for prizes and honor and strength is the only law? And that's, I mean, n- no, no, we live in <laughs> um, we live in late stage capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so. But so can I just ask another question? Yeah. So like you had this lovely moment. I thought it was lovely when you said like you're reading this and you're like, hey, I know these guys. Yeah. This is these like and um, like uh, what was that? What's that about? Uh, what do you mean? Well, that seemed like a moment of recognition that was like fond or or like oh. or, or or an insight that was somehow illuminating and like felt good to you. But well, it doesn't it felt really good to me because I got to think about the Iliad, which I, I'm, I'm always that always makes you happy. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it was sort of just like this moment of recognition. Did it make you feel like okay, maybe like I can? Uh, I don't know. Was it like it's like it somewhat romanticizes our like deeply corrupt society or something? No, I mean, I I, I don't I don't think so. And you know, I should say that like these are some of like the least like we can talk about the the the. Uh, affection we feel for some of these characters but in a way like this this point of recognition is some of like the the um least attractive qualities of these characters right like 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 these these are the the points where like you start rolling your eyes at these guys when they're just like going on for 20 lines boasting about (laughs) how great their ancestors were and how great they are because they're like their ancestors and um but they would never say like I came from nothing, right? That's not right. part of their story. That's right. not no, part that's, of the That's that is isn't a really important difference. That's not they don't that's not something they would value. I mean, but w- right, right, like even when you think about like I mean, obviously this is a much later work, but it has a connection. Like when you think about the Aeneid, the whole the whole claim to fame that Aeneas has is that like he kind of gets he like comes out of the Iliad and goes on. Right, and in turn, that means that it was like the claim of fame of the Romans is that they were yeah. descended from Aeneas. Yeah, right. right. No, that's totally important. There is, there is this, like I, I think, um, you know, as as Hayes points out, the contemporary meritocrats like to tell these stories about their birth and where they came from, but they're these sort of like uh, Horatio Alger stories. Yeah, even, right. And even when fabricated. they don't make any sense. Right. But like, but I mean, this, so I think this that is, is an important difference. Yeah. And certainly something like the DAR, right? The Daughters of American Revolution. That's mm-hmm. a, that's like a different, in some ways, that's sort of a different story that gets told. But at the same time, right? That's sort of about like, like, yes, my ancestors were these great heroes who founded the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that may be a little bit gendered, right? Because it's like, that's women's claim to fame is that their fathers, their forefathers did something great. But there's like the Mayflower Society. Yeah, ab- absolutely. But I mean, I don't think necessarily that those people would say that they're, that they are aristocrats, right? They would still, they would still claim to be part of a merit, merit, well, meritocracy, I mean, right? A, a meritocratic be... ruling class in some way. I think. I think the important thing or... to to recognize is that the ex- may, that may be true, but the the extent to which those people actually have power today is greatly diminished from sixty years ago. And I think that that's like one of the changes that that Hayes is really trying to point out that yeah that that like in the in the fifties, like those people like really did run everything. Uh, 
in America. Like it was, it was this East Coast wasp elite um, who, you know, whose families were in the DAR and the Mayflower Society, and and uh, and that was. I a don't real... know. Andrew Carnegie like came over the sea. I mean, yeah, there's okay. like all those robber barons. They're pretty powerful, and a lot yeah. of them do not have that. But I would say like elite, elite institutions were run by. I think elite institutions are in some ways still very you know at least on the east coast right are still like very rooted in that stuff so more i don't than know any, more than anything else in america but like like they let all kinds of jews into the ivy league now <laughs> you know like like there's some like real basic things that changed um yeah. and and like it's yes you can get into the ivy league based on being a legacy admission like that still happens yeah uh uh, well, college admissions have, I mean, that may, I, I don't mean to split hairs, but that may be a bit of a separate issue because, and I don't know enough about this, but like the evolution of the idea of admissions and more and more resources being pumped into admissions offices and the sort of explosion and to my mind, sort of bloat of that wing of like university recruiting that, that may be like a separate, I don't know that that feels separate to me somehow. Separate from separate from like just the breaking down of barriers and the increase but, of access you know, for I, marginalized or minority people. I mean, I think the the idea though is that um, you you need an admissions office if you're trying to judge people based on merit, right? Like you need you need standards yeah, for that. Yeah, and you yeah, need, You need people to try to judge the merit. Whereas if you're basing admissions based on like whether or not someone's father went to the well, same school. Well, you used to just call up and say you were coming. Yeah, or, or right? like let's let's have a ch- let's 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 just have a chat with this guy and see if he's really you know a, Harvard a, material. A, yeah, a, is he is he a Harvard man? <laughs> uh, right. right, but it's like when you have like you know uh, ten times as or, or twenty times as many applicants as you have places. And you're trying to do this in in ostensibly a meritocratic way. But it also has to do with the competition of more and more colleges. I mean, when you think about sure. land-grant colleges, like I, I, as usual, I just want to say, like, I think this is actually a lot more complicated. And there's a lot more different historical forces at work than just, yeah. like, the fractal elite or something. Sure. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah. But, but, but I do think that that's a thing that happened. That just that, that yeah sure it ch- society changes it really yeah. really does yeah and, that, and that's it changed absolutely in a true. way that that weakened the power of this of of the east coast wasp elite and made uh uh yeah that that yeah and it just weakened that and and opened opened a meritocracy up to so is there a is there a like a what's the word, like a parallel event that we can see in the ancient Greek world as kind of like, is there a similar disruption? Is there like any work of literature or history or philosophy where you see something like this happening? I mean, well, yeah. is this, a, is this like an Athens moment? Like what's happening? So, right. So let's, let's back up a little bit and go back to, to, you know, something we've discussed a few times before, which is that there's all different kinds of ancient Greece. Yeah. And, and it's my favorite thing. <laughs> And, you know, before when I was talking about the Iliad, I was talking about the world described in the Iliad. Right. Um, which is, you know, late Bronze Age Greece. So, I don't know, like, and in, in, in Western Turkey, you know, maybe like 1200 BC, something like that. Uh, and it was, you know, actually 
composed around 700 BC and classical Athens is like 450 BC. So again, just to like, can you say that one more time? Just the dates. Yeah. So the, the, the world described in the Iliad. Yep. Bronze age. That's late bronze age. So like probably around 1200 BC. Mm -hmm. The Iliad was actually written probably around 700 BC. Okay. So that's like a, like a good four or five hundred years mm-hmm. after what it's describing, and and uh, like classical classical Athens, like like the um, the Battle of Marathon, which is in, that's like the the end of the first Persian War, and that's sort of considered like the birth of of classical Athens was in four ninety BC. Okay, so I'm thinking about you're going to say something about this. So, so I'm going to shut up for, well, I was just going to say that, that, I mean, obviously there was this thing that happened in Greece where, um, there was like, there were Greek city states were ruled by Kings. And then in a lot of, a lot of cities, the Kings were deposed and replaced by these, these tyrants. Right. Um, and then in Athens anyway, the, the tyrants were deposed and, and replaced with, you know, what they call democracy. Right. Um, which, you know, as we've discussed was, you know, not universal suffrage. It was extremely uh, restricted, but still ex- like not quite, quite radical given the context. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, and so um, there was definitely when... an opening up of political power. And this is like why I think about Aristophanes and I think about the wasps, right? Like this is sort of like they, they are making fun of this like demagogue who kind of uses the common people to solidify his power. And I wonder whether there's like any, I don't know, is there like a comparison to be made? Uh, Sorry, between like, just like, I mean, just thinking demagoguery, like the the fear of demagoguery or like this sort of like, um, uh, I don't know. The, the idea that, like, these people who are rulers or who are leaders anyway, who have solidified their power to a, to a certain extent, are not the son of gods, and they're not special, and they're not – they certainly act like they are, but they're sort of really not good enough to be so special. And whether there's, like, a – I don't know. Is that, a, is that a similar moment? Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. So let's let's get off this topic. There's, yeah, there's, let's let's there's take a little break. One other thing. Yeah, I want to I want to leave the readers with with one thing, and this this is from the Iliad, book six, uh, line uh, two hundred six to two eleven, and this is um, this is what I think it's Glaucus talking to um, talking to Diomedes. I think actually, let me let me check that. But so you know they they they. They meet in battle and um, uh, they have this conversation. And there we go. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. It's Gl- Glock is talking to Diomedes. They, they have this conversation in battle where it's the, you know they're about to fight each other, and the one's like, "I'm gonna fight you. Who are you?" And the other's like, "Well, I'm so and so, son of so and so." And the one's like, "Well, who are you?" Um, and and sort of Glaucus is telling this whole story of his family, and he says. Uh, uh, Hippolychus uh, sired me, uh, and from him I say I was born. And he sent me to Troy, and uh, and joined me very much indeed, always to excel and to be uh, uh, and to be better than everyone else. 
and not to bring shame upon my fathers uh, who who were the best in all of Ephyria uh, and in wide Lycia. Uh, from these, uh, oh yeah, from, from this family and blood, I swear I, I am. I, I'm, I'm from this family and blood. So uh, that Ian uh, Aristewain, always to excel and to be better than everyone else, and not to bring shame on your fathers. Like to me that like just captures the nut of this um, like entitlement and insecurity where it's mm. like, it's, it's your, your sacred duty to be the best. Um, and if you're not the best, you're going to bring shame on everyone else or you're going to bring shame on your whole family, mm. but you actually have to perform. It's not just a question of, it's not just a question of, of how you were born. You were born to Kings, but in order, but you need to show that you, are um, worthy of that birth. Yeah, that's so interesting. And to me, I would just say, like, I see that same, I don't see much difference in that sentiment from um, either, like, the sort of uh, American meritocracy, at least, like, may- maybe maybe I'm thinking of the old, old wasp elites, as you call them, but I also don't see much difference between that and European, like, old-style aristocracy. It, it well, seems all about okay. the same to me. That's really interesting. Okay. Um... Do we have any other business before we say goodbye then? We talked about homework. So. Do your yeah. homework, everyone. It's going to be awesome. Hmm. Uh, okay. And, yeah. Um, and have fun. Have a great couple of weeks. We'll be back soon. Uh, That's it. Follow me on Twitter at Namusworth. Follow the show at TMWIW Podcast. Check out our website, TMWIW.net. You can find show notes and uh, with with links to some of the stuff we talked about. You can also uh, hit us up on the contact form there. Thanks to everyone who's done that. Uh, I try I, uh, try to write back to everyone. Uh, Maybe one of these days we'll we'll talk about like some comments on the show. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>